miss you and we are excited to be here even though that we're not able to be here in the building we're glad that we're on live streaming to be able to minister the word of the Lord to you you know as a pastor many times throughout the years I'd hear people say I'm not going to be there in body but I'll be there in spirit and I never liked it then and I still don't like it now I miss every single one of you. But I am thankful for the technology. I'm thankful for the men that are so gifted and talented and committed to the cause of being able to live stream to you. I do have a word of the Lord for you today that God has placed in my heart. And I know that uh, you're going to receive some strength out of this message. It is a very heavy message, a message that's been birthed over many tears and many hours of before the Lord. And the Lord has just put this inside of me. And I hope that it'll be a blessing to you, give you some instruction about what to do in the future events that's coming on our land. We love you today. If you have your Bibles, turn with me to the book of Exodus chapter 1, verse 5 through 14. Exodus chapter 1, verse 5 through 14. While you're turning there in your Bible, we will be giving you instruction of when we're going to be opening back up as soon as we find out all of the mandates of the governor. And I know that there's a lot of different rumors going on out there, but we've been keeping on top of it. And we're going to find out what may be legislated in the near future. I think tomorrow he's going to be making another announcement. We don't know if there's going to be any restrictions on us or not. But as soon as we're able to have church, we're going to open up. We'll be sending you emails. We'll be sending you uh, videos. We'll be contacting you. We'll do everything we know to let out when we'll be able to go back as soon as we find out ourselves. Just give us a little bit of time and be patient. Exodus chapter 1, starting with verse 5. The Bible says, And all the souls that came out of the loins of Jacob were 70 souls, for Joseph was in Egypt already. And Joseph died, and all of his brethren, and all of that generation. And the children of Israel was fruitful, and increased abundantly, and multiplied, and waxed exceedingly mightily, and the land was filled with them. Now there arose up a new king over Egypt, which knew not Joseph. And he said unto his people, Behold, the people of the children of Israel are more mightier than we. Come on, let us deal wisely with them, unless they multiply. And it come to pass that when the when when there faileth when there falleth out any war, they join also unto our enemies and fight against us, and so get them up out of the land. Therefore they did set over them taskmasters to afflict them with their burdens, and they built for Pharaoh treasure cities, Python and Ramses. But the more they afflicted them, the more they multiplied and grew, and they were grieved because of the children of Israel. I love that. And the Egyptians made the children of Israel to serve with rigor. And they made their lives bitter with hard bondage in mortar and in bricks and all the manner of service in the field. And all of their service wherein they made them serve was with rigor. Let us pray together. Our Heavenly Father... We ask you right now in the mighty name of Jesus that you would be with us, that you would speak with each and every household and family, that God, that you would touch our hearts in a way that, God, we have never been touched before. We pray, God, that you would give us the comfort of the Holy Spirit and the peace of God that passeth all understanding during these trying times. 
We pray that you'd give us direction, Father, that you'd give us wisdom, that you'd give us knowledge and what we are to do and what's the mandate upon us as believers and what the mandate is upon us as priests of our homes. We pray right now, Father, as I bring for this word, that the word of God would not just go out on ears, but they would enter into every heart and that men would take it serious and women would take it serious of what the Spirit of the Lord is saying to each and every one of us. We pray blessings upon the palace family right now. We pray healing and those that are sick. We pray financial prosperity to those that's going through problems financially. We just pray, God, that you would intervene and take care of your people and visit with your people in any way that they need you to. God, we ask you now to help us in this service. Anoint me as I try to bring forth your word. For I know that I am unworthy and I know that without you I am nothing. I pray that you preach through me today and I give you the praise for it in the name of Jesus. And everybody says amen. First of all, this morning I want us to look at this text and learn a lesson for what I believe is a future event that is not only going to occur but is occurring even as I speak. The first of this message may not seem to be encouraging but if you'll hang on, I believe that you will find that we will end up with a happy ending. We no doubt are living some uncharted waters And we as Americans and we as the 21st century Christians, we are finding ourselves in a place that we've never been before and we're facing things that we have never faced before. We are seeing the end time prophecies of Matthew chapter 24 being accelerated at a high speed right here in the day in which you and I live. Things are shaking and changing and the spiritual and political climates are in more warfare than they have ever been before. There is a showdown to what forces will become in power in these last days. And everything, listen to what I am telling you, everything that is happening right now is all about power and it's all about control. If you don't hear anything else that I'm going to say, remember that. Everything that is going on in our, our, our land and everything that is going on in the spirit realm is all about power and it's all about control. This is not only true between Democrats and Republicans and the political arena, but we are witnessing this even in the spiritual realm between the Antichrist spirits and the Holy Spirit. We are seeing and witness the end time climax between good and evil. The middle ground, the gray areas, the moderates are actually being crushed and totally annihilated and is forced to take sides. No longer can you disagree with one or the other. We, those that have been moderate, those that have been in the middle, those that have straddled the fence in their belief, they are coming to a place where there's a climax to where you're going to have to make a decision of whose side you're on. It's either going to be cold or good or bad, evil or holy, dark or light, right or wrong, hot or cold, that one must choose, both in the political arena and both in the spiritual arena. The world has never been so divided, and America has never been so divided since the Civil War. And yet, what did Jesus say? A house that is divided against itself, it cannot and will not stand. We're going to have to stand like Joshua in the days of old when he stood up to O Israel and he said to them in Matthew 24 and 15, and if it be evil unto you to serve the Lord, then you choose this day whom you're going to serve. Whether you serve the gods that your father served on the other side of the flood or you serve the gods of the Amorites in whose land that you dwell right now. But you're going to have to choose who you're going to serve. Then Joshua makes it clear that even though he gives them the choice to serve who and whatever they desire, 
Yet he says, I want every one of you to know, for me and my house, we are going to serve the Lord. He drawed the line in the sand and he said, if you're for us, you be over here. And if not, you be over there. But you're going to have to make a choice. And that's what this whole season about is, is us making a resolve and we're going to have to come to a place of choice of whether or not that Jesus is really going to be Lord of our lives. Is he just going to be a savior or an acquaintance or someone that we come to or is he going to be King Jesus and Lord of our hearts and reign over the throne of our actions and our beliefs and our attitudes and everything that we are. Joshua's decision wasn't an impulse decision. It was a decision of devotion and one that was made out of faith. Joshua's decision was derived out of a personal encounter and a personal experience he had at Jericho while he was facing the Canaanites. The Bible tells us in Joshua chapter 5 verse 13 through 15 that Joshua was by Jericho and he lifted up his eyes and he looked to behold that there was a man standing over against him with a sword drawn in his hand. And Joshua asked this man, he said, are you for us or are you for our adversary? The man replies and he said, nay, but the captain of the host of the Lord am I now come? And Joshua fell on his face, the Bible says, to the earth and he did worship and said unto him, what saith my Lord unto his servant? And the captain of the Lord host said unto Joshua, loose thy shoe from off of thy foot for the place whereon thou standest is holy. And the Bible says, and Joshua did so. Joshua's faith was settled by this account. His decision to stand against the flood of the enemy and the rise of opposition of the last day here was not made at the spare of a moment, but by the previous encounter that he had at Jericho. And don't be fooled in thinking that you will have enough faith to endure the end time test and the temptations without having first an encounter with God that establishes your convictions. Your convictions must derive out of a fiery devotion with God. Your convictions have to be a thing of the spirit that has to get inside of you. It can't just be mustered up. It can't just come from what you've learned. It can't come from head knowledge. It's got to come from heart knowledge. It's got to come by the way of the Holy Spirit. If there's ever a time to have a relationship with the Spirit, it's right now in the day and we live because we will not be able to stand. We will not be able to endure. We will not be able to overcome the test that's about to come upon us if we're not solid, bitterly focused upon Jesus Christ and have a relationship with him. Joshua asked him, are you for us or are you for our adversary? The reply came back, nay. In other words, I'm neither for you nor am I for your adversary. But as for the captain of the host of the Lord, have I come? He, he wasn't for Israel. He was not for Joshua. He was for the Lord and his purposes. In these last days, it's not about being for the church or being for the pastor or being for the people or being for the religious right. It isn't about religion or church or ministry or people or anything like that. It's about the captain of the host of the Lord, Jesus Christ and his purpose and his kingdom. That's what this is all about. You and I have got to be sold out to the kingdom of God. We have to be sold out to the will of God for our lives. We see that this encounter was not with an angel like many think, but it was with the pre-incarnated Christ. How do we know this? Because Joshua bowed down to the earth, flat his forehead on the ground and he worships him and this man receives worship. And we know in the book of Revelations when John the Revelator was uh, when seen the angel of the Lord, the messenger of the Lord, as the angel began to 
give this message. John falls down to the earth just like Joshua did and he begins to worship. But the angel said, oh no, rise up. He said, I am as a fellow servant as you. You cannot worship me. Only God receives worship. So this tells us that this was God. This was in the form of the pre-incarnated Christ. He receives the worship from Joshua. And not only that, he is identified in verse 15 as the captain of the host of the Lord. How many knows that Jesus Christ is the captain? He's the captain of our salvation and he is the captain of the host of the Lord. There is no other captain. He is the captain. He is the author and the finisher of our faith. The next thing you see is Jesus telling him, pull off your shoes, you're on holy ground. And the Bible says, and Joshua did so. Joshua previously had asked him, what saith my Lord unto his servant? In other words, Joshua says, you're my Lord. He's confessing him as Lord and he said I am your servant and he says because you've made this confession you pull off your shoes boy. You're on holy ground. You're in a place of the power of the spirit. You're in the place of residing with God. You're in that holy place. You're in that place with me and that's where we've got to get as a church. We cannot be distracted from getting to that place that we hear God say pull off your shoes. You're in the right place. You're in in the frame of mind and the frame of the spirit to where you're in holy ground with me. Amen. Can I tell you what is happening right now in the spiritual realm? I'll tell you what is happening. Number one, God is reestablishing his church and he's planting it on holy ground. Through these last day events, God is sanctifying his church and he's purifying himself of people. Number two, I want you to know he is reestablishing true worship. God is a spirit and those that worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. There is a, a video that I may play later on but it's a man by the name of Barry Clardy and he had a, a dream and he had that dream like nine times in a row and all of a sudden he come to understand that it was a prophetic dream and this man of God he dreamed it over and over and over and what he dreamed is he was preaching before his congregation all of a sudden there was part of him that left and another part that left him the next thing he looked up everybody was gone and he found himself preaching to an empty building and he'd done it for some time and he didn't understand the dream. But all of a sudden he said, when this virus thing came out, I understood that God was preparing me to preach to an empty building. He said there was some of our people that got sick and they had left a little at a time and then all of a sudden the whole congregation was gone. And he said in the dream it was God preparing me to preach to an empty building. But then he said when later on he had another dream and he began to dream it. And as he dreamed it, he dreamed as he preached. All of a sudden there was a presence behind him he turned around and there was some people on the stage in the choir area and he said I preached that, that sermon and he said the next time I got up to preach I turned around and there was more gathered there and the third time even more gathered there and before long the place was completely packed behind me but he said there was no one out in the pews and he said the spirit of the Lord spoke to him and said this is what I'm doing when the virus is over and the people come back there will be no more passive worship there will be no half hearted worship There'll be no flawed worship. There'll be no impure worship. That the believers are coming back radically changed and they're going to be true worshipers of God. God is reestablishing pure worship in the church again. Worship is nullified where there's no holiness. Worship is voided and rejected when it doesn't come out of holy ground. Matthew 12 and 14, or Hebrews 12 and 14 says, without holiness, no man shall see God. That means that not only holiness will keep us from seeing God in heaven, but it means 
things that will keep us from seeing God right here and right now. There'll be no manifestation of his power. There'll be no manifestation of his miracles. There'll be no signs and wonder where there's not holiness unto the Lord. So God is taking his church and he's purified. He's bringing it to a holy church and he's reestablishing pure worship. Can you give the Lord praise? For, give the Lord a hand clap right where you're at in your house. We are living in a day when the wheat is being separated from the tares. It is through these last day trials and afflictions and tests and hardships and temptations that God will purify his church. And he's separating the wheat from that which is unfruitful. As we focus on the coronavirus, there's just, this is just the beginning of the end. Did you hear me? As we focus on this virus, it is just the beginning of the end. This is all setting up for what we call a one world government. Hold on to me. Listen to me. It's all about being able to control economies and homes and businesses and churches, houses and people and nation. It's just a foretaste. It's just a forerunner of what is to come. And can I tell you, even though it might not admit to that, it is showing the way of how that this can be accomplished. The enemy, the power of the heavenlies that is called, ruled by the prince and the power of the air, the devil, is trying to set up his world system to where he can operate and, and take control and rule over the earth. That's what he's trying to do. He's trying to rule us as people. He's trying to dictate his will upon the hearts and the lives of mankind. It's all about being able to control. It's all about being able to be in power. As David Wilkerson one time prophesied, he said this, and this is not the actual quote. I tried to find it in my old sermon in the 1980s when it come out, and I thought it was odd, but I felt like the Lord said to me that that was going to happen, and he prophesied this, and I'm going to try to put it in his language the best I know how, but he said, a day is coming that you will no longer see the righteous intercessors or the church being the watchman over the gate of the city, but it will be the doctors they will be the ones who will tell you when you can come and when you can go when you can close and when you can open your businesses and when I heard that I thought what is he even saying but it sparked with me years ago and now I see that actually happening right now it is the doctors dictating around the nation over a virus so who can do what and who can do this and who can do that it's taking away the liberty and the freedom of people and it's becoming under the control of one man who's become the watchman of the gates of the city. However, if it isn't a virus that's going to take place, it'll be an earthquake. If it ain't an earthquake, it'll be a war. If it ain't a war, it'll be a famine. If it ain't a famine, it'll be a pestilence. You listen to this preacher. Negative events will continually keep on happening to the end from this time forward. I want you to know, normalcy, as you and I have known it, is gone forever. You and I, the America that we have known, will never return again until the second coming of Jesus Christ. It will be nation rising against nation, kingdom rising against kingdom. It's, it'll be in the spiritual realm where there'll be a rise of false prophets, seducing spirits, doctrines of devils. Even people will be coming around the nation saying, I'm Christ. You're going to see that. We're already seeing that once already. And Jesus said in Matthew 24 and 8, when you see these things coming, these are the beginning days of sorrow. He said, sorrow's coming up on the earth. The normal way we live will never be Term, both in the natural, the physical, and the spiritual. I'll make a little comment more on that later. But then when he said all of these things, he says something in verse 9 of chapter 24 of Matthew that is very alarming. 
He said, then shall they deliver you up to be afflicted and shall kill you, many of you, and you shall be hated of all nations for my name's sake. Now, on the forefront of the days of sorrow, there will be a wave of a rise of persecution. Even though this is talking about Israel, yet it's talking about the righteous, and it's representing the New Testament church, Jesus Christ. So on the forefront of the days of sorrow, there will be a wave and a rise of persecution against the church and the righteous. Right now, as I speak, there is churches being fined. Pastors are being put in jail for preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ. Church members are being harassed and persecuted in 30 different states already. In, a, in the United States, there are liberal and ungodly men, uh, governors and mayors that are attacking the church of Jesus Christ. And in 30 states, there's lawsuits out there trying to protect the church. While all along, in those same states, hardened criminals, some with murder raps, drug dealers, sex offenders, rapists, and illegal immigrants are being set free from our prisons and our jails. And many of them has committed crimes after they have been released. Some of them has even done murder again and not even been arrested. This is where we are presently at in America. America has not only lost its moral compass, but it's lost its discernment of what's right and wrong. It's lost its common sense. It's lost reality of what's right and wrong. The Antichrist spirits are at work deceiving and seducing and indoctrinating people with a worldly philosophy. And this is not only causing havoc in our world, but it's causing havoc in the body of Christ. Jesus said in Matthew 24, many of you will be offended and you will betray one another and you'll hate one another. And what is so bad about that scripture is this is talking about the believers. This is talking about the community of faith. This is talking about the people of God. He said, those of you that are of faith, those of you that's in the community of faith, those of you that are believers, those of you that are Christians, you're going to offend one another before this is over, and you're going to end up fighting one another and hating one another. This is why that Jesus said in Luke 12, verse 49 through 57, I'm going to slow down so you can hear these verses. I come to send fire upon the earth, and what will I if it already be kindled? But I have a baptism to baptize with, and now I am straightened till it be accomplished. Suppose you that I come to give peace on earth, I tell you nay, but I've come to bring division. From now on, there shall be five in one house. There will be three against two. There will be two against three. And then he went on and said, the father shall be divided against the son and the son against the father. The mother's going to be divided against the daughter and the daughter against the mother. The mother-in-law is going to be divided against the daughter-in-law and the daughter-in-law against the mother-in-law. And then he says, and then he said to the people, when you see a cloud rise out of the west, straightway you say, there cometh a shower, it's going to rain. And so it is, you're right, he said. And then he says, and when you see the south wind blow, you say, hey, there's going to be heat on tomorrow. And you are truly discerning right. But then he said, but you're hypocrites because you can discern the face of the sky and of the earth. But how is it that you cannot discern the signs of the time in the spiritual realm? The end time event is actually God sending the fire of his Holy Spirit upon the earth. There's going to be a global outpouring of the Holy Spirit upon his church worldwide. But before you say amen and hallelujah, listen to the next statement. And it will be the fire of God that will divide the church. That's what this is doing. It has always been the fire that has brought division. 
People will unify around miracles and healings and blessings and affirmation and edification and fellowship. But when it comes to the fire of purification of the Holy Spirit, it brings division because some do not want to adhere to that and its message is is, uh, offensive to them and it begins to prick their conscience and condemn them. The fire is what is separating the wheat from the tares in these last days. The fiery message of the end time gospel will not be a watered down a feel good or a relevant gospel any longer but it will be a gospel that convicts and pricks and reveals men their sin it'll be in your face preaching that's where we're returning to we are entering into the air of the closing of the seeker sensitive churches or the seeker friendly churches we are entering a time when entertainment is going out the door we are entering into air of holiness Unto the Lord. That's where God's bringing his church back. Pure holiness. And the things that really don't matter, they're going to fall off. The things that have systematically happened in the church to become just relevant to a world, them things are going to fall off because it will be the unadulterated word of God preached by men under the anointing and taught by men and women by the Spirit of God that's going to bring the fire and the zeal of the Holy Spirit back to the church. Oh, hallelujah. The true church will be baptized in his baptism in which Jesus said in this passage, I am determined to accomplish. How many believe if Jesus determined to accomplish something, he'll do it? Amen? Well, what is his baptism he's talking about? Matthew 3 and 11, John the Baptist said, I indeed baptize you with water into repentance, but he that cometh after I, who's mightier than I, whose shoes are not even worthy the last, he shall baptize you with what? The Holy Ghost and with fire. It is the fire of the Holy Spirit that's going to mark the true church of Jesus Christ in these last days and it will never ever be normal again because signs and wonders are coming back. Miracles are coming back. Prophecies coming back. The gifts of the Spirit are going to be in operation. The church of the end time is going to be a true church, the body of Christ, standing tall in the full radiant glory of Jesus Christ and it's going to preach the gospel in power and there will be signs and wonders and miracles and things are going to happen through the church but the church is not only going to see revival but the revival is going to be poured out in the midst of fighting division open opposition persecution from a world whose heart's been pricked by what we preach and how we live there's going to be a war against us 1988 David Wilkerson again prophesied and this is what he said this is his exact quote I see a plague coming upon the world and the bars churches and government will shut down The plague will hit New York City and shake it like it's never been shaken. The plague is going to force prayerless believers into radical prayer and into their Bibles. And repentance will be the cry from the man of God in the pulpit. And out of it will come a third great awakening that will sweep around the world. I just seen that in one of the news advertisements. I can't remember if it was CNN, Fox, or wherever. And they played this prophecy. Uh, and it might have been in the form of an advertisement. I think they were saying, look at this advertisement that somebody put out. But there was one phrase that they left out of that whole thing. They talked about the plagues, and they talked about New York City, and they talked about the prayerless believers being ra- getting caught up in radical prayer and opening their Bibles. But they skipped the part that said repentance will be the cry from the man of God in the pulpit. Now, I want to tell you that there is no way to have revival without having a pure gospel preached. 
as we see these things coming upon our earth. It was the Apostle Paul that told young Timothy in 2 Timothy 2 and 3, endure hardness as a good soldier of Jesus Christ. The Greek word for hardness here indicates suffering and hardship and difficult afflictions. Paul just tells Timothy to endure them. Don't run from them. Don't react to them. Don't cave in because of them. You endure them. And we cannot allow the love of God and his word to quickly fade away due to unpleasant circumstances and the circumstances of, and the surroundings around us that is negative. We cannot allow the cares of life to rob us of what God wants to do in our lives. No doubt in life there are many struggles, there's many afflictions. The Bible says many are the afflictions of the righteous. But he says God will deliver you from them all. But even though there are all kinds of things that we're going to face and many uncertainties, yet we have to understand that one of the benefits of Christian living is knowing that we have the ability to be resilient. The Holy Spirit is telling me to tell the body of Christ, be a resilient body. Be a resilient Christian. The word resilient literally means to jump or to bounce back. It carries the culmination of being able to bounce back from trials of adversity. When you're knocked down, you're just going to have to stand up, knock the dust from off your feet, get back up, and go again. The Bible tells us that the just man will fall seven times, but he will get back up. In the book of Exodus of our text, we see God reveals this amazing characteristic in the people of God, this thing called resilience. What was happening was the children of Israel had begun to grow and multiply, and they began to fill the land of Egypt. And the Pharaoh that was raised up in this generation who knew not Joseph, he was a new generation, that had not known the ways of old and the, and the, and the relationship that jo Joseph had with the former Pharaoh. And they had a good relationship. And Pharaoh was, uh, was uh, kind to Joseph and the children of Israel at one time. But this Pharaoh raised up, did not jo know Joseph, and he became fearful. He looked at the Israelites and said, hey, they're filling the land, and if a war breaks out, they may join our adversaries, and then they, they would whip us. And then he says, and they may even get up, and because there's so many of them, they may overtook us and leave the land. To leave the land meant that there would be an economy collapse because there was so much free labor because they were slaves. And that was the free labor that was causing Egypt at that time to be one of the most, uh, uh, have one of the most strong, one of the strongest economical uh, uh, times of all times. It was all because of this free labor. So what this Pharaoh decided to do was I want to bring adversity and opposition and affliction to the people of God. So why? I can rule and have power over them. It's all about rule. It's all about power again. But when he did this, something amazingly began to happen in the community of faith. Something began to happen in the hearts of those men and women of God. The Bible says in Exodus 1 and 12 of our text, but the more they afflicted them, the more they multiplied and grew, and they were grieved because of the children of Israel. In other words, Israel became a thorn in the side of Egypt. And can I tell you that the church of Jesus Christ has become again the thorn in the side of the world. The church is gaining her influence back. There is a stirring, there is a shakening, there is an authority, there is an anointing upon the church in these last days and it is getting noticed by the world and the world is hating us as a result of it and they have a plan to come against us with persecutions and afflictions to try to stop our influence from being able to have the power that it needs in order to be able to have a good society. We're living in a time that right now the church is being blamed for everything. I just seen it on the news in CNN the other day where they literally said that the true 
cause of the virus was caused by, by evangelical Christians. And the way they derived that was because they found out by some statistics that more Christians voted for Trump than ever in the history of any president. And they got behind him and they said that it was the evangelical Christians that got him elected because they liked his platform. Some did not vote for him and some did. And this is not a political thing pushing Trump. It's not a political thing saying anything, but it's stating fact that more Christians voted for Trump than any other president known. And here they liked because he was against abortion. They liked that he was for one man and one woman. They liked America first. There's a lot of different things. The moral platform in which he put his, 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 uh, his, his desire to see for the nation, we see that the church bought into that. And as a result of that, they begin to get angry toward us and they said, if we ever get in charge, we know who to come against. The church is going to fight in these last days. Imagine this. Pharaoh had tried to afflict the people of God to make them weak, frail, and feeble. But the more he afflicted, the worse it became for Egypt and the more that the children of Israel began to grow and prosper. Adversity is simply an opportunity for growth. It pushes us beyond the normal familiarities and routines and it drives us out of our normal places of ease. It makes us be pushed beyond our likes into that which is best for us. So much of the time when we lack a place, we won't leave it and it takes the adversity to push us out of it. There's things that's good for us that we don't like and we won't eat simply because it don't taste good. But if you taste it and you eat it, you like the end results of how it nourishes your body. But it is also these afflictions that makes us abandon or leave our comfort zones that we have gotten too relaxed in. That's what adversity does. Sometimes adversity is a cleanser. Sometimes it's a producer in our lives. Sometimes the adversity is just sent to get our attention, to make us wake up, to make us take notice. Sometimes adversity is sent because it is the only way that God can motivate us and push us in the center of his predestined will for our lives. Adversity is simply the opportunity for us to learn how to reign over the issues of life instead of allowing them to conform us into a worldly life pattern. That which Pharaoh thought would control Israel, the afflictions actually freed them. Sometimes God doesn't want to minister to us where we're at, but he wants to minister to us in places where we've never been before. He wants to take us to greater heights, greater paths, and sometimes we would never get there if it wasn't for the adversity because it's the adversity that's pushing out of us out of our nest. It's the adversity that's pushing us out of our comfort zone. It's the adversity that's pushing us forward and propelling us into God's divine destiny for our lives. We simply take things for granted when things are well and when things are great, when things are good. Look, we've already found that out in the last two months, have we not? We have found out that we've taken the church for granted. We've taken each other for granted. We've taken God for granted. We've taken our freedom for granted. This thing has really opened our eyes of the things that's really dear to us and important to us. What was wrong in our text was Israel became too comfortable in Egypt. Egypt wasn't their promised land. It was not what was predestined for their lives. Egypt was not Israel's inheritance, but Canaan was. And can I tell you the word Egypt means worldly? And can I tell you the world is not our inheritance either. Heaven is. We're just pilgrims and strangers passing through. I want you to know your retirement, your career, all of that is not your inheritance. Your inheritance is heaven. We are a community of people that's bound to the kingdom of heaven. 
Egypt was just used to sustain Israel for a while. But it was never God's intention for them to remain there and to take up residence. When they had a good Pharaoh, they should have asked permission to leave Egypt. But they didn't. You know why? Because they were too comfortable there. Things were too good. And when we begin to put our roots down more in our experiences than we do our destiny, God knows how to pluck us up and reroute us and get us to where we belong. Some things of our past has been good. Without them, we would have never got where we are at. But God never intended for us to make golden calves out of them and to stay too long in one place. And what happens, we're just like the children of Israel. We come to a place spiritually where we like it. We enjoy what we experience. We enjoy the, the mechanics of it. We enjoy the feel of it. We enjoy the atmosphere of it. We enjoy the results of it. We come to the border of Jordan, and here's well-watered plains, and here's beautiful green pastures, and we say, we just want to stay on this side. But the well-watered plains of Jordan were not the inheritance Canaan was, which was a land that flowed with milk and honey. But so much of the time we gather in our churches and we get to a certain level and we just plateau there simply because we like it and we build golden calves out of the experience that we have and we'll never be able to be propelled to another place of a higher dimension and a higher level because we've got too comfortable where we're at. And God is now stirring our nest through these last day events and he's taking us from where we are now to where he wants us to be and it's all gonna be the afflictions and the hardships that's gonna propel us into our destiny. All of these things that is coming up on the world must not distort our focus or to get our attention off of God to where our love will grow cold. When these things happen, we cannot allow ourselves to get caught up in fear and in fretting and in worrying and get consumed But what's going on by all these negative things that's going on around our world. But we must look at them as opportunities for growth and success. God knows how to get the sinner's attention. God knows how to bend the knees of a nation and knock it back on course. But God's people have to be watchful, alert. They got to be wise and they got to be ready for the task that is at hand right now. It's just like in the early church in the book of Acts, God had prophesied about his witnesses would be throughout the earth. In Acts 1 and 8, he said, but you, shall see, but you shall receive power after that the Holy Ghost has come upon you and you shall be witnesses unto me both in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria and to the uttermost parts of the earth. He said, my witness is going to be in Judea and Samaria and, and to the uttermost parts of the earth. But it wasn't until great persecution came and the church was dispersed that the witness w- was seen in Judea and Samaria and to the uttermost parts of the earth. The prophecy of Jesus was not fulfilled until first of all, persecution and affliction and hardship came upon the church. The church was just going to camp there in Jerusalem. They were just going to be comfortable right there where they were at, and they were not going to do the work of evangelism. Though the church was going to grow in Jerusalem, it was not going to grow around the world. Why not stay where they were at? Jerusalem was a very prosperous place. It was, a very, it was full of entertainment. It was full of, uh, 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 of uh, provision. and It was a good place to live. It was a, uh, it was a comfortable place to live. And that's where the Christians had gathered, and, and the church was growing in Jerusalem. So God allowed persecution to come, and the saints were scattered abroad into Jerusalem, Judea, and Samaria, and to the uttermost parts of the earth. And listen to what Acts 6 and 7 says. And then the word of God increased, and the number of the saints were multiplied, and great company of the priests were obedient to the faith. When these came, things came upon the land, we have to be able to trust God completely like the early church did. The church did not grow until it got out of its comfort zone. That's where we're at in these last days. I don't always foresee the reason of why I go through the different hardships and the tests that I go through. And I know that you don't either, but I do know that we always know that they're going to work for our benefit and for our best. Or God would not allow them to happen. 
These things are not out to destroy the church, but to make the church stronger. You and I got to be resilient. We've got to have an enduring faith. And we've got to be persistent. And we've got to have roots that's deep in Christ that will be able to allow us to stand against the wiles of the enemy. No matter what crisis befalls us, there's always a possibility for victory to those that will begin to believe and remain in their faith and to trust Jesus Christ. Do not abandon your faith. Do not run from your problems. Do not react to your dilemmas. Do not look to different sources other than God in the midst of uncertain times. He is your source. Keep the faith. Fight the good fight of faith. Lay hold of eternal life. We're entering in what we call the days of sorrow. There's going to be uncertainties, unrest, normalcy's gone forever. And we don't need to weep over that. We need to rejoice over that because the days for the church are come, becoming better. The things of the world are becoming worse. I want you to know the dividing line is made. In Egypt, I want you to understand that God took care of his children until he called them out. And he's going to take care of us. When the plagues came upon Egypt, over there in little Goshen where the children of Israel at, the plagues was far from them. And I'm here to tell you that there's going to be a supernatural work among his people. But yet, on the other hand, we may be entering in the times of sorrows, but we are not entering in the time of Jacob's trouble. We are not going into the great tribulation. We're hearing preachers saying, oh, we've entered into the great tribulation. Folks, you are not in the great tribulation. Do not fret. Do not worry. We're not appointed under wrath, but we're here to obtain salvation through Jesus Christ. This is not the great tribulation. The plague that just to hit Call it a virus, a plague, whatever you want to call it, that hit our nation. That ain't even a drop in the bucket of what the vials are like. I want to tell you when the tribulation comes, there's no comparison of what's going to take place on the earth than what we're facing now. This is not the great tribulation. We are at the midnight cry that goes out to awaken the church in Matthew 25. Right before the second coming of Jesus Christ, there'll be a cry made, prepare yourself for the bridegroom. That's where we're at. We're right at the midnight hour. Before midnight strikes, there's a, right before that, there's a cry that goes out. Well, this is the cry. This is the time to get the church awake. It's a time to say, wake up, church. It's a time, take notice, church. It's those times when Jesus said in Scripture, barely, barely, I say to you, pay, pay, pay attention, be alert, listen to my voice. That's where we're at. It is a midnight cry where preachers and teachers and ministers are going to stand behind pulpits and their voices are going to be the voice of the Lord speaking over the nation. Repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. We're going to go back to the anointing of John the Baptist. Not only that, we are at the place in time that the good wine is saved into the last. That's where we're at. We are at a time, folks, that there's going to be more of the Holy Spirit baptism and the Holy Spirit fire being poured out upon the earth than ever recorded in the history of the nation or in the history of the church itself. I want you to understand what the Holy Spirit's placed in my heart. The good wine is reserved to those of us that are at the last, right before the second coming of Jesus Christ. There's going to be a baptism of fire. Jesus said he's going to accomplish it. It's going to hit the church right now. God wants to baptize believers with the Holy Spirit right there in their home. He wants to visit you not only with the Holy Spirit, but with fire. The fire of purification. The fire of zeal. The fire of power. The fire of cleansing. The power of holiness. God is wanting to baptize
baptized people with the Holy Spirit. In these last days, this baptism is going to cover the globe of the world. And when the opposition comes, we're not going to be afraid. We're not going to be frail, but we're going to stand up like Peter did on the day of Pentecost. Prior to Pentecost, he's in hiding, but after Pentecost, after the experience of the Holy Spirit and fire, he stands before the ones that he was in hiding from, the ones that he feared, and he stood up and preached one of the greatest messages that anybody ever preached, and thousands of souls were saved on that day. I'm here to tell you it was because he was baptized with the Holy Spirit and with fire. The fire's coming up on the church. Receive that power right now in the name of Jesus. Right now, be baptized in the Holy Spirit. Get your family around and tell them how important it is to have a fiery zeal that has come and been birthed through the experience of the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Let God fill each and every one of you with the Holy Ghost here today. I'm here to tell you, I wish I was here that I could lay hands on every single one of you. By the laying on of hands, we know that people were filled with the Holy Spirit. We know that people were filled with the Holy Spirit as, as Paul got up and preached and the Spirit fell upon the people and they began to speak with tongues and they began to prophesy. There's all different kinds of ways to be filled with the Holy Spirit. You can be filled with the Holy Spirit right there in the confinements of your home. Seek the Lord. Ask Him for the baptism. Ask Him for a revisit for those of you that are filled. For the revisit of fire of the Holy Spirit. Ask God to make you pure. Ask God to make you whole. We'll be dealing with that more in the future. We love you here today, and we're believing for you here today, and we're believing and trusting that God is going to give you what it takes to endure the test of time by visiting you with the Holy Spirit and fire. God bless you. We love you. We hope to see you soon. Keep watching on your Texas and the church app, keep looking for announcements that will be coming your way from the church. We love you. God bless you.